In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, if you've uh, been here the past number of weeks or just uh, live in the liturgical year, you'll notice that we have green altar hangings again. Uh, as the liturgical calendar says, uh, our deacons are wearing green, uh, but I decided to split the difference this evening and uh, wear something between green and white. Um, and a lot of times, as you know, if you come here, I just look for any excuse to wear these vestments. But, uh, but I wanted to do that tonight because in one sense, we, we still are in Epiphany Tide. And I think tonight's gospel reading really keeps us there. It doesn't let us move forward. It, matter of fact, I would say introduces us to a different aspect of it. Um, so next week, when we're all wearing our green, it will certainly be green. But tonight, we're going to split the difference and, and still live a bit in Epiphany Tide, while also, of course, looking forward to the weeks this year that will be between uh, the actual celebration of Epiphany on the 6th and the beginning of Lent. So I do want to focus on our gospel reading this evening, because if you've also been paying attention for the past few weeks, the uh, seasonal blessing that we've been using at the end of the service for Epiphany started off with the first part of the blessing being about the coming of the wise men. The second part of the blessing, if you recall, was about the baptism. And the third part of the blessing is, in fact, about turning water into wine, so I felt also somewhat obligated to preach on the gospel tonight for that very reason. But I look forward to teaching on John chapter 2. This is a beautiful text, and I love it. And I want us to see tonight together what is happening here, because as I mentioned last week with the baptism, we quickly leave the infant Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, right? And then we have a moment, which of course is all the gospels give us about Jesus teaching in the temple a few weeks ago. And then the next thing you know, we're talking about 30-year-old Jesus, right? And so here we are now talking about that kind of 30-ish-year-old Jesus. And in John's gospel, he places this as the first miracle. And so really, we get to see the initiation of Jesus into some form of a public ministry, Yet we have to wrestle with the fact that Jesus seems a bit reluctant, right? I mean, it would be like having, I don't know, Superman for your kid, and you know that your kid could do certain things, and you're at a party, and someone says, man, I just can't get the lid off of this ice cream or whatever, and they're struggling, and they're struggling, and you're thinking, Kal-El could do it. Uh, should I call Clark over, you know, and... So without hesitation, Mary says, Jesus, come here. And Jesus is like, whoa, it's not my time, Mom. Anyway, the miracle happens, and so uh, we want to focus on this miracle tonight. And the first thing I think that we need to notice is that Mary is not named directly as Mary. She is named as the mother of Jesus. So when given an opportunity to refer to Mary by name, John doesn't do it. Instead, he describes her as the mother of Jesus. And I want to suggest that the reason that's a bit significant is because instead of thinking of Mary, right, the person of, of Mary, like by name instead, John wants us to see the relationship. And just like at the incarnation, where Mary gives birth to Jesus, is the mother of Jesus, the mother of God at that moment, the bearer of God, the Theotokos, here, Mary also is the one who brings Jesus forth. And in this sense, by not naming her, the focus stays on Jesus, right? She's described in relationship to Jesus. He's the one 
that we're to focus on in this passage, which of course is not to denigrate Mary at all, but it's to simply say that John, I think, wants us to be focusing on Jesus and that Mary's relationship in this moment as the mother of God is she who brings Jesus forth. Right again, Jesus isn't there. He's not the one thinking, man, if only we had more wine, right? We don't even know A, why they're at this wedding exactly. You know, we don't know whose it is and why they're there. B, we have no idea what Jesus is doing at a party, right? Because forget extroversion and introversion categories. I mean, you're, you're the son of God and everyone else isn't. So what, who, who are you hanging out with? What are you talking about? Right? If any of the apocryphal lives of Jesus, right, those things that talk about his childhood or any record of anything, some people have probably heard some pretty strange stories about this guy, Jesus. So Mary calls him over, right? When the, when the wine one runs out and they're like, oh, if only we had more, she goes, Jesus. Like, she gets it in her head. Let me call my son over. So Mary brings, as the mother of God, brings Jesus out into the story, into the picture, into this moment in the gospel, in this moment at this wedding, right? And then Jesus does what, in a sense, Mary is expecting him to do, which is to make wine for the guest. Now, I don't know if Mary knew how Jesus would do that, but we're told that these vats are depleted, right? So Jesus says, fill them up with water, and then he turns them into wine, and good wine, top shelf, wine, right? So he turns it into good wine. And then John tells us that this is a sign. And that language of sign is important to John because he's going to name seven of them across his gospel that point to Jesus as the sign of the signs that say things, that tell things. That's what a sign does, right? So even if, and I think there was a study done on this once that I read years ago, even if you take the word stop off of that red sign that occurs at intersections, people who are drivers will still stop. No one reads the sign. Like, literally, no one goes, what does that red sign up here say? What is it? Is it a hexagon, octagon? How many signs? I don't even know. The point is, is, like, we don't read it and say, oh, that's just stop. I should stop. We see the shape and the color, and we immediately know that the sign is referring to stop right? Don't go through here. So this sign, this changing water into wine is a sign, we're told. So what is a sign? What is it pointing to? What's its referent, right? And this sign turns out, we're told by John, is that it manifested his glory. This sign manifests. It brings forth, or maybe because of the season we're in, it epiphanies, if you will, right? It manifests, it brings forth, it makes visible Jesus's glory. And John cares about this. John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Chapter 1. Chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, when Jesus is talking to his father that all believers will be one. He says in verse 22 of John 17, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. So this glory that Jesus has received from the Father, he gives to his followers. So John is concerned, he cares, he's, he's thinking about this concept of glory. 
So when this sign of changing water into wine manifests Jesus' glory, right, that's actually a way of talking about it manifests Jesus' divinity. Now, you might be thinking, well, well, duh, he just did a miracle. But in the New Testament, miracles aren't limited to Jesus, right? Other believers do miracles, not just Jesus. And those miracles don't point to their divinity, Paul or Peter's or someone else's, no. But in this case, this sign of turning water into wine at Cana and Galilee manifests, again, makes visible the glory of God, his divinity. And what does that accomplish? What does it do? Well, I think what it's doing is that it makes it possible for others to believe. Verse 11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The result of this manifestation of his glory is belief on behalf of the disciples. So Jesus manifests his glory so that others can believe in him. Just as the jars held water for purification, they now hold the living waters of wine. Right? That's what Jesus makes possible for these disciples. That the water which purified the Jews, the wine now makes these followers disciples, these disciples believers of Jesus. I mean, what a beautiful image of what is being accomplished. This isn't, this isn't a party trick, right? This isn't, this, I mean, I think it was probably the Babylon Bee, surprise, surprise. I'll reference that uh, second gospel of the, oh, the fifth gospel of the Babylon Bee. Uh, they said something like, today we celebrate Jesus is turning wine into grape juice, right? I mean, that's the, that's what, that's what happens, you know, but, but as we read this, we see that what Jesus is doing in this first miracle, again, that John records, that doesn't mean it's Jesus's first miracle, but in his gospel, John places this first, tells us it's a sign, language that we know is, is important to John from the rest of the gospel, that this sign points to, makes visible Jesus's divinity, his glory, and then these disciples, these people following him, then believe on him. So we reflect on that wine and those vats as as the living waters that Jesus gives to his followers. It's not just wine. It's not just a miracle. These are the means by which people come to faith. It's the means by which Jesus made known his divinity. But like in good and bad infomercials, but wait, there's more. Right? We don't actually get two for the price of one. We're going to get three for the price of one because the text begins with this phrase, on the third day. So not only is the text telling us about this sign that makes Jesus' divinity um, uh, obvious, uh, manifest, but instead, from the beginning, we have third day language. And we know that's significant in part because of the resurrection, right? So the third day, the day of the resurrection, the sign in which the person of Jesus, the crucified Jesus, resurrected from the dead, right? Walked out of that tomb, revealed what? His glory, a sign of his life, of his divinity, so that people could do what? Come to faith in him. Even Thomas was brought around, right? to belief in Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. So in the same way in which we could reflect on the resurrection as a sign that displays Jesus' glory, that makes it possible for people to believe, so here in this text. 
And again, here on this third day, Jesus tells his mom, my hour has not yet come. But in John 17, again, that, that text, it's the high priestly prayer, but it's also where John transitions into the final days. It begins, Father, the hour has come. So here in John 2, Mom, my hour has not yet come. John 17, Father, my hour has come. Glorify your Son. But again, it's not two for the price of one, it's three for the price of one. Because if you know your Old Testament, and I know you all do, then you're probably sitting here the whole time thinking, Exodus 19. Right? I know you were. There, verse 1, Exodus 19, tells us this, verse 8. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Exodus, right? We're, we're through the waters of the Red Sea, established in the, in the, in the promised land. Yes, they, they've sinned, right? They have a desire to go back, right? But this is Exodus 19, the giving of the law. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments. Begins verse 8. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then verse 11 of Exodus 19, on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then, if we parallel that with uh, Deuteronomy, there, on the morning of the third day, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. The Lord has shown us his glory. Right, so in the way in which this third day language in Exodus, we're going to do everything God tells us, On the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, Moses brings the people out of the camp to meet God, and they meet God, how? By God the Lord, Yahweh, showing them his glory. What does Jesus do on the third day? He reveals his glory by turning water into wine. What does Jesus do at his resurrection on the third day? reveals his glory by walking out of the tomb. So this is not just the first moment of Jesus' miracles. John, too, in many ways, this is an epiphany. This is Jesus showing forth who he is. And not, I mean, his miraculous birth, yes, not just to shepherds and wise men, but now this transition to a much more public setting. Because those who believe in him, right, he already has disciples, the text tells us. These disciples, they now come to belief in him. They see this manifestation of God's glory and begin to believe in him. So what should we do in light of this miracle? Believe in him. And in one sense, like, joking aside yet not aside, we could also think about the Eucharistic connotations of this text. That's what our collect does in part points us to the sacraments, to again reflect on the way that when we consecrate, when I consecrate the bread and the wine, it becomes the body and blood of Jesus, we are seeing who, again, the glory of God, so that what? We can feed on him and come to faith. So may we think and reflect on this passage tonight, not just as that story where Jesus turned water into wine, right? Not just as a comical episode so that we can make fun of people who you know, prioritize grape juice over wine, perhaps, but to see it for what it is, and not just the first of Jesus's miracles in the gospel, John, though it is that, not just this moment where we want to figure out what exactly is Jesus up to when he seems to be hesitant to do this initially, not to necessarily just reflect on kind of the boldness of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, to, to bring him forth, but instead to think about the fact that 
From the Old Testament, we see the significance of the third day and the manifestation of glory. At the resurrection, we will see the significance of the third day and the resurrection of Jesus and the revelation of his glory. Yet here we are in John, if you will, in the mundane, at a wedding, at a party, and they get to see Jesus' glory. So may we too, in the mundane days of our life, the days where we don't necessarily feel like lots of things, getting up, exercising, going to work, doing the vocation God has given us to do, being a parent, not being a parent, all those things, fixing dinner, you don't want to fix dinner, you want to go out to eat, all those things. In the mundane days of our lives, may we remember that Jesus' glory is available to us. And may we see him. And certainly on Sundays and other days when we celebrate the Eucharist and we gather together, may we see Jesus in the bread and the wine. And in seeing that glory, may we believe in him and be good disciples, following him all the days of our life. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.